Friends, our, our scripture reading this morning comes from the prophet Isaiah. Let us listen together for the word of God. The first passage comes from the 12th chapter. You will say in that day, I will give you thanks, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away and you comforted me. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid, for the Lord God is my strength and my might. He has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And you will say in that day, Give thanks to the Lord, call on his name, make known his deeds among the nations, proclaim that his name is exalted, sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be known in all the earth. Shout aloud and sing for joy, O royal Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. And also, our second passage comes from the prophet Isaiah in the 65th chapter. For I am about to create a new heavens and a new earth. The former things shall not be remembered or come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I am creating. For I am about to create Jerusalem as a joy and its people as a delight. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and delight in my people. No more shall the sound of weeping be heard in it, or the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant that lives but a few days, or an old person who does not live out a lifetime. For one who dies at a hundred years will be considered a youth, and one who falls short of a hundred will be considered accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity. For they shall be offspring blessed by the Lord and their descendants as well. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, but the serpent, its food shall be dust. They shall not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, says the Lord. Friends, will you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So friends, I read a novel this week, which might not sound like a big deal, but it is for me. I love to read, and since my twins were born six years ago, I didn't give up reading. I read all the time, but I gave up reading novels. There is a great t-shirt that says, I don't have insomnia, I just have a good book and a lack of respect for tomorrow. That was me before I had four children. I was always reading and often staying up way too late to finish a good book. I preach about the values of minimalism, and even though I don't practice them very well myself yet, I do believe in making thoughtful choices about what we do with our money, our time, our energy, and our space, and the more finite we realize those are, the more carefully we can make these choices. So six years ago, Novels were sadly but consciously sacrificed from my life. 
Aside from the time spent, I was careful about reading things that were too upsetting. Matt loves to make fun of the book my sisters and I read, and we trade them back and forth. And he will pick up the book jacket and and always read something like, a chilling portrait of a deranged mind, a gripping tale of desperation and you won't be able to put it down, a haunting mystery told with bewitching skill. It has become a running joke about what we consider to be a good read, and it's funny because it's true, and I imagine it's the same for you as well. Do you have these books on your bedside table, and do you pass them to your friends and say, you have to read this one? So after a long break from novels, I visited a sister this week who gave me two books and said I had to read them because they are about a country pastor. They are called Ordinary Grace and This Tender Land by William Kent Kruger. They're in the vein of Marilyn Robinson's Gilead. And sure enough, after telling me I absolutely had to read them because of how beautiful they are, she said, I mean, they are the most upsetting books I've read in a really long time, but you have to read them. Friends, the prophecies of Isaiah are like this. They are haunting and distressing, disturbing, and yet compellingly beautiful. A must-read. A book that people who love it will give to others and say, Here, you won't be able to put it down. You might find your faith in God and humanity shaken while you read it, but you have to read it. And for Jesus and his followers, Isaiah was always that book, that must-read, must-reread, must-memorize, must-live-your-life-in-the-light-of kind of a book. These are the passages we are reading in our Wednesday morning Bible study. And yes, I'm going to make a plug for coming to Wednesday morning Bible study if you are available. It is a hybrid meeting, so you can join even if you can't come in person. We are always careful to name the many different ways we're reading the passages. Are we noticing poetry? Are we learning histories of kingdoms, the rise and fall of empires and nations? Are we remembering how Jesus and the disciples leaned on the texts, how they shaped their own theological landscape? Do we notice how these passages appear in the New Testament more than any other passages in the Old Testament? Jesus' first sermon in the Gospel of Luke comes straight from Isaiah. If we are going to read Isaiah... We do have to be very careful not to look at it as a text about how bad the Jewish people were in ancient times and how God chose to punish them. I have to pause and say this, because reading Isaiah for Christians is a very dangerous thing. You know the Reverend Jake Joseph, who preached here last month and will be preaching here again soon, is a UCC minister who has gone to work for the ADL, and he sees every single report of any hate crime that happens in the state of Connecticut, and he will tell you that there is a drastic uptick in anti-Semitic hate crimes in the state, everywhere in the country, specifically following Christmas and Easter, because we read these Isaiah passages out of context, and we think that this is a story about God's judgment against an ungrateful and sinning people, and we call those people the Jewish people, and this could not be farther from the truth. When we read Isaiah, we have to read it as a challenge to ourselves. We don't get to be spiritual spectators when we come to this text. We have to ask, is this challenging us 
can we imagine the prophet Isaiah saying, Look here, citizens of the United States of America, do you come into my temples with blood on your hands? When you come into this place, do you remember that there are people who are hurting and who are hungry, and do you care? We have to read this as a challenge to ourselves. And God would say, there are places in the world where there is no respect for human life. But God says to people who will hear and listen that God, as our divine parent, would say to us, I raised you better than that. I taught you how to love each other. I gave you these commandments. I told you you have to value the most vulnerable people first. Refugees, widows, and orphans were the most vulnerable people in that day and in our day. We have to care and protect the most vulnerable first. So most of the sweep of Isaiah, which we are learning in Bible study, is God's challenge to people who are not living out God's justice in their own society and God's reminder to them that every human being is of sacred value to God and that we have to live as though that is true. So one theologian and biblical scholar describes the book of Isaiah as being like all of these storms, thunderstorms, hurricanes, and all of this tale of death and destruction and war, every kind of horrible thing that can happen to human beings happens in Isaiah. And then there are these moments where the sun breaks through the clouds and you see a glimpse of a rainbow. These are our two passages today, both in Isaiah 12 and in Isaiah 65. These are like that candle shining in the deepest night where we see a glimmer of God's hope. And we also have to remember that the reason these passages are so beloved is because they do come during all of this pain and hardship. Just like all of the upsetting books many of us love to read, all the stories we consume through other various media, what we're seeking isn't the storm. We don't enter into these hard stories because we love the story of the storm. We enter them because we are looking for that rainbow, for that sunshine, for that glimmer of hope. And Isaiah shares with us God's hopeful vision that things can and will be better, that there is transformation possible on a personal level and all over the earth. God promises, I am going to do a new thing. There will be no more weeping. There will be no more children who die. I will create a new heavens and a new earth, and it will be like nothing we have seen before. The cover artwork on your bulletin is called A Peaceable Kingdom about this passage. It shows how the entire cosmic order is changed. There will not even be any more predator or prey when God's shalom is fully realized on earth. Everything will be new. Next week, the Reverend Martin Copenhaver will be preaching here for my installation. I am so excited for all of you to meet him, but I want to introduce him to you just a little bit now. Martin came to be the pastor of my home church, the Wellesley Village Church, when I was 11, and he served there until I was 31. He officiated at my wedding to Matt and baptized Ainsley and Dwyer. When I was in college, my dad would pick me up and bring me home so I could attend church, so I have 20 years of Martin's sermons inspiring my own faith and theology. When each of my grandmothers was dying, he came and prayed with my family around their bedsides. When I told him I wanted to go to seminary, he drove me down to Yale Divinity School and we walked all around the campus and received communion together in Marquand Chapel. 
He has written many books which are on my shelves in my office. And I want to quote him to you today. He says, God gets the last word. Our God is the kind of God who insists on having the last word. The second to last word can be given over to something else. Evil, disease, oppression, hopelessness, death itself. But our God is the kind of God who insists on having the last word. And that is always a word of healing, a word of liberation, a word of hope. The novels that we read are the second to last word, and we read them because we want to see how in human stories it is possible that God can break in. Our lives might not reflect these worst of times like Isaiah describes, but surely we all know pain and heartache. We all know betrayal and grief and loss. Sometimes when we go through these things, we can't help feeling like God might be punishing us. We feel forsaken. But the judgment and the trials are never the last word because God's plan isn't done. If the story doesn't have a happy ending, the story is not over. And in all of these human stories, we're reminded to look for that resilience, for that love, for that compassion that can change everything for ourselves and for someone else. In the novel that I read, it wouldn't move you if I told you that the book is about two brothers. If I just told you that one brother told the other that he loved him and he was his best friend, that would not move you at all. That is only the rainbow. You have to hear the storm that this was the older brother speaking to his younger brother who had been bullied and picked on his entire life, that he was contemplating suicide because he was so brokenhearted and because he never had any relief from the way he was treated by his community. And that when his older brother sat him down and said, I love you and you are my best friend, that his life was transformed and that through that love, he had the power to overcome his obstacles. It's then when you acknowledge the shadow and the hurt and the pain that you can see the ordinary grace breaking through. This is the life of faith. There is no forgiveness without betrayal, no restoration without loss, no resurrection without the cross and the tomb. So friends, we affirm that God can do all of these things. Ultimately, there will be a new heaven and a new earth, and in the meantime, we help God create the new heaven and the new earth in the way we share God's love and God's peace. We affirm that God has done it in the past, God is doing it in our own lives, and God will do it again. Thanks be to God.